Hello and welcome to another episode of the VCDX podcast, a podcast focused on the VCDX certification with news, updates, advice, and special guests. If you find this podcast interesting, please be sure to subscribe and tell others about it on social media. My name is Simon Long, VCDX number 105, and in this episode, my special guests share their experiences of defending remotely and offer up plenty of great advice on how to tailor your preparation for a remote defense. Here's a taste of what's coming up. So I actually kind of lucked out a little bit the fact that that's exactly how I was prepping. I was probably more prepared for a remote defense than a in-person defense, um, some might say. If they could try and speed up that process, that would actually help them a lot because that almost takes up, I'd say, a, a third of their time just trying to draw out things in, in a PowerPoint presentation, which, as we know, that tool is not designed for diagramming. Um, so I don't need to focus on making the whiteboard look the prettiest. It's important that you get your point through. All of that to come. Let's move into the news and update section. So first of all, I want to congratulate all of our newly minted VCDXs that we've had since our last episode. First of all, we have Paweł Petrowski. He's from Poland and he achieved his VCDX in the DCV track. And we also have Azad Blunstein from the US who achieved the VCDX in the NV track. Congratulations guys, that's great work. So those of you who are interested to see the full VCDX directory, you can go to vcdx.vmware.com and on that website lists all of the current VCDX holders. Some other important VCDX dates to note. We have an online VCDX workshop on Friday, February the 26th. So for those of you who are not familiar with what the VCDX workshop is, I highly recommend you check out episode two of the VCDX podcast, where we talk specifically about the VCDX workshops and how they can definitely benefit you in your preparation for your VCDX defense. For VCDX applications, the application deadline for the June VCDX panels is Thursday, April the 8th. So you still have plenty of time if you're planning on defending in June, but just to know that that date is gonna come up way quicker than you imagine. If you're interested in what other important dates are coming up, be sure to check out the VCDX calendar, which is available on vcdx.vmware.com forward slash calendar. That's all for this episode's news and updates. Let's head into this week's special guest interviews. Hey, you're listening to the VCDX podcast. Moving on to our guest interviews. In this episode, I'm excited to welcome two special guests. So let's see who's joined me. Guest number one, give me a name and a number. My name is Chris Noon and I am VCDX number 289. Well, welcome, Chris. Thanks for joining me. So tell us, which VCDX certification track do you hold and, and when did you pass the VCDX? So I passed in September of 2020 and I am a VCDX NV, which is network virtualization. Wow. So you're one of the newly minted VCDXs that we have, Chris. So congratulations. There's all sunk in now. It's been a few months now. You kind of got over the pain. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been pretty good. It's uh, The first month is very exciting. You're still getting acclimatized to it. But uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it's all settled in now, which is nice. Great. And Chris, just tell us, what, what's your current job role and what do you do in that role? Just so our listeners understand what you're doing. Uh, so I recently moved after I got my VCDX. Uh, I joined a company called Assistech based in Ireland, and mm -hmm. I am their senior SDN specialist. I work on both the pre-sales and the post-sales side. Ah, cool. Well, congrats on the new role. And was that new role due to being a VCDX, or was that something that would have happened regardless anyway? 
Uh, it would have happened regardless of, mm-hmm. of the pass or fail. Um, but I think the preparation towards the VCDX kind of helped me land that role, which was yeah. a, a win-win. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, thanks, Chris. So guest number two, can you give me your name and number? Hi, my name is Asaf Blubstein and I'm VCDX number 292. Hey, thank you, Azaf. Thanks again for joining me. So tell us, which VCDX certification track do you hold and, and when did you pass the VCDX? Uh, so I passed the VCDX DCV in the data center virtualization track, mm-hmm. and I passed this in December 2020. Wow. So you're even newer than Chris then. It's just December. That's I just am, a little over a month ago. Yeah. The latest minted VCDX. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and has that sunk in for you now and you're kind of back to normal now? Um, you know, it comes in waves. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I still uh, look at the badge uh, <laughs> at certain times when, when when things come out on Twitter, et cetera, and it still yeah. um, it still looks a, seem a bit surreal at times. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. I mean, it, however many years ago I passed, you still look at it today and you still feel proud for it. So that feeling will never mm-hmm. go away. So Zaf, tell us what, what's your current role and, and what do you do in that role? I currently work at VMware as a cloud customer success architect focusing on VMware Cloud and AWS. Cool. And what sort of things do you get involved in the day-to-day there then? Um, mostly, uh, we get engaged, or my team gets engaged once the at the post-sale cycle. Okay. So really helping customers kind of get the most value out of their um out of their Veeam, VMware Cloud and AWS implementation. Cool, very so cool. So helping with day two roles, et cetera. Yeah, very important. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's like buying this new product, you get it installed and you're like, uh, now what do we do? And it's like, you guys come in and make sure that they're getting their value for money, making sure that it's doing what they want them to do and, and kind of showing them around, I guess. So, so that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> well, well, I'm really happy you could both join me on this episode of the VCDX podcast, as I want to talk about your experiences of doing your VCDX defense remotely. Now, Last year, all of the VCDX defenses were held remotely. And for a lot of people, this brought up many questions about how defending remotely changed the way that you would approach the the defenses. So what I'd like to do is ask you both to give our listeners some tips that you found helped during your defenses. And I think it'd be good to split this up into maybe two sections. We've got section one, the defense of the design, and then section two, the design scenario is often quite different in the way that you'd approach them. So, um, So who'd like to kick us off by telling us how they approach their their defense differently and, and what specifically really worked well for you? Uh, yeah, so I can start. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, everyone prepares for that in-person defense, and that was something I was preparing for as well. Mm-hmm. But I work remote out of Gibraltar, so the majority of my prep was actually done remote. So I was getting very familiar with the remote tools. So I actually kind of lucked out a little bit the fact that that's exactly how I was prepping. I was probably more prepared for a remote defense than a in-person defense, um, some might say. But I think as part of the defense, um, there's a couple of things uh, I would would work on. Um, PowerPoint needs to be clear and concise. Mm -hmm. Um, I think especially in a remote defense where you've got that little bit of lag between uh, you and the panelists and stuff like that, having a clear and concise PowerPoint really does help. Um, I used a lot of backup slides to my advantage. Um, I'm very much of the belief that I would rather have them and not need them than need them and not have them. Um, so I, I was very, I was very confident with where my backup slides were and, and things like that. And then I got some great advice from a friend. He he said, know your presentation and be and be fluid within your presentation, but allow yourself some freedom. The panelists might actually make you swap and change between slides, or you know 
go to one slide and come back. So make sure you're fluid and, and not so robotic. And I, I think for the defense, especially remote, just those three key things really helps me. Yeah, I think there's, there's some really good points there, Chris. I think clear, concise presentation should be the case for all all defenses, not just remote ones. So just putting it out there. So anyone listening, always be clear and concise in your presentation. But I agree with the being able to to just be flexible in their approach to the, the presentation because a lot of people will kind of do it as as if they were doing a, a presentation at a conference or something like that, where they literally just going to go end-to-end nonstop with no interruptions because you normally do Q&A at the end. But as you found out, Chris, yeah, exactly. often, often we'll do Q&A as we go along. So that will require you to maybe jump to different areas. So rather than making the presentation something that is just kind of something you talk to people at, it's just use that as a tool to help show the information that you're trying to convey to the panel. So I think there's some really good points there, Chris, definitely. So Azaf, what did you find really worked well for you? So I'll say one, one of the important things is to use... Um, to, to leverage video because the actual defense will have video uh, mm-hmm. for both you and the panelists. In addition to kind of emphasize on what Chris said, it is also important when you're being concise in your presentation, also to try and not speak too fast. I think this is a general recommendation for, um, for any defense. But especially when it's remote and there might be audio issues, you don't want to be to need to repeat every single sentence because um, half of it didn't didn't go through. Um, and in addition, one of the major things that I think comes as a surprise to a lot of candidates is you are expected to whiteboard during your uh, your actual defense, not only during the design scenario. So I think it's really important to um, figure out how are you going to whiteboard during your PowerPoint presentation as well, to try not to switch between too many apps because that just takes time away from you. So try to uh, figure out ways to whiteboard within PowerPoint as well. Okay, so is that something that you did, Asaf? Did you manage to figure out a way that you could whiteboard within PowerPoint itself so you don't have to keep switching between screens or apps? Yeah, basically what I had, I had one empty slide at the end of my my deck um, that was just a blank slide. Mm-hmm. And I had in each slide, uh, in each other slide, I had a, a small button that when I clicked it, it went immediately to, the, to that whiteboarding slide. So I could go back and forth very quickly instead of trying to open up a different app just for whiteboarding. Oh, that's very smart. That's a really good tip. I like that a lot. And... <laughs> Just, just on the whole, d- doing everything remotely, as you said, it's it definitely a good idea to try and speak a bit slower because because you are essentially speaking to a screen and people are listening via headphones or whatever. You you don't have that kind of connection that you do in a, in a physical world when you're actually in the same room. So there is often the times where it, as you say, audio doesn't come through or you're trying to move one of the screens around so you could see the camera better and that sort of thing. So slowing down the way you talk is is definitely a good thing when it comes to remote. And I'm guessing both of you have been working remote now for a while because, you know, this COVID thing is not going away anytime soon. And do you have you, have you felt that being having to work remotely for work in your actual job roles benefited you as well in the defense as well because it was something you're used to. I mean, Chris, you kind of mentioned that you work remotely all the time anyway. So for you, this is almost 
easier for you than probably doing it in a, in, in person. But as Af, yeah, I'm guessing you used to do a lot of face-to-face meetings with customers. How did the whole working from home really benefit you and, and make, make life easier for you when you were doing your defense? So I actually also have been working remotely for several years okay. before, um, before COVID. So mm-hmm. while I did travel a lot and had face-to-face meetings, um, I did... Um, I, I really like whiteboarding. I really love whiteboarding. So I find it an easy way to uh, transfer information, especially remotely. So um, this is something that I have somewhat fine-tuned in the in the previous years, doing workshops remotely from time to time, and that definitely helped during um, during preparations for the remote defense. Sure, and this is something that I. I've never really done. I've never done a remote whiteboarding session. So for me, if I was planning on doing my VC decks now, that would be a skill I'd have to learn. Because as I said before, whenever I was with customers, I was with the customer and I could just grab a pen and, and draw it out on the whiteboard easily. But it's a whole different story when you're trying to do things remotely and, and using different tools that are available to us. So guys, let's move on to the second section about, okay, how did you uh, approach the design scenario differently? And what tools maybe did you use to kind of help help with that because normally in the design scenario there's a lot of whiteboarding required to to kind of show what you're trying to articulate to the to the panel so chris do you want to kick us off with that yeah so that's probably one of the most common questions i get Mm -hmm. now after passing um all the people going in that's going to take this exam are asking what tool did i use how did i find it um different questions like that um and i would say there's there's lots of different tools out there when you get the acceptance email from the VCDX guys to say that you're you're going to defend. They actually recommend some apps there, mm-hmm. uh, but it's really whatever makes you most comfortable. You want to draw on PowerPoint because you find it easier, go for it. Uh, you want to freehand some stuff with an app, go for it. It's really about making sure you can talk and draw at the same time. Uh, for me, I used AirSketch Pro and an iPad, and I was able to sketch and talk at the same time. That's the way I've been doing it for a while with customers. Mm-hmm and uh, internal staff and that's what made me feel most comfortable and I, w- I was able to use that did you use a one of those pen like a pencil or a stylus with that to help help you assist with the drawing yeah so it's really cool um the air sketch pro app got recommended by another vcdx so i was checking it out like a year before the defense and it acts as like a web server so you can actually log into it on your chrome window and everything you draw appears on the chrome window so it, it's kind of you can look at the screen look at the panelists and see what you're drawing at the same time, which is really nice. And that's with a with a stylus as well. That sounds very cool. I think it's very important when you're in the the defense itself to be comfortable with the tools that you're using because there's there's a lot of other things that you need to focus on and concentrate on as part of the defense. The last thing you want to be doing is trying to figure out well, why is why why is your drawing not in the right place. So when a lot of people are trying to do uh, drawings with PowerPoint, it's it's taking them a lot of time to kind of draw out the shapes and then they're spending a lot of time correcting spelling and making colors and things like that. I, I find that if you, if they could try and speed up that process, that would actually help them a lot because that almost takes up, I'd say a, a third of their time just trying to draw out things in, in a PowerPoint presentation, which as we know, that tool is not designed for diagramming. So I think that the tips you had were using an iPad and a stylus and being able to look at the screen whilst you're still drawing I think is is could be a very useful tool for a lot of people, not just in the VCDX defense, but also in in this remote work from home kind of situation that we're all in right now. 
Yeah, I found it. I found it useful both in working in general and uh, preparing for the VCDX. Um, I have to say though, so I do know someone that passed, um, and all their preparation was mm-hmm. done using PowerPoint, and they got very skilled at drawing with PowerPoint. It was very impressive. Great. Yeah, I mean, it can definitely be done. I just know for me, I'm a, I'm a little bit anal on how my boxes are and I'll be trying to make sure that oh, they're yeah. all the correct sizes and that all the lines draw, connect up to the right points and things like that. And obviously that's not really what you want to be spending your time on doing as part of the defense. I, I just want to say, I, I agree about that because I spent like half of my mocks, just the design one, just figuring out tools. That's a great point just because um, I figured out my tools well before I went into the defense and, you know, I, I know it's difficult the first five, 10 times you do it. So the more fluent you are, the better. And was there anything else that you found useful? Uh, yeah, um, I, I worked um, with uh, a mentor for a while, uh, Shadi. He was really, really helpful. And he helped me define like a, a methodology to work through. Um, that 45 minutes goes faster than you think. Mm-hmm. And I had a, a loose methodology that I tried to work through. And whether that's in person or or remote, I think that's key. But more so in remote because of that delay on Zoom and stuff. You you really cramming for time, and every 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 extra second counts. So it's good to have a, a nice methodology in place. And combining those two things, I think mocks are extremely important. The more mocks you do, the better you'll become at this. I've heard some people say these things are like customer meetings. Uh, sure, there are some similarities. Mm-hmm. But you're there to score points. You're you're there to pass an exam in, at the end of the day. So you need to practice that kind of skill set around the VCDX. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Asaf, can you add add to that? What what else? What did you find worked really well for you in the design scenario? Yeah. So I was actually one of those um, people that <laughs> reached out to Chris and asked him what tools did he use, uh, and I tried using the um, AirSketch uh, mm-hmm. Pro at first, but I already had um, a drawing tablet from uh, doing some um, workshops remotely. So just, um, you know, some of those like Wacom or Huon um, drawing tablets that um, I didn't really need to purchase an iPad in addition Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) for that. So the important thing was to not fixate on the highest resolution ones, et cetera, because this, Unless you're an artist, you're not. You don't really need those to whiteboard. Um, so I already had the physical aspect of it. For me, it was mostly finding out what are the which software am I going to use. And like Chris mentioned, I have tried leveraging, um, tried out doing several mocks. I tried uh, leveraging PowerPoint and and OneNote, etc. And eventually, I settled on Microsoft Whiteboard which is a free app that is available for multiple devices. So if you present on Surface or uh, the Surface Pro or, or on your laptop or even on a Mac, I believe, you can leverage that. And uh, that was that's the one that really worked for me. Great. And and was it the same? Do you use a, do you use a stylus on the tablet for that and you can kind of just draw and it'll appear up on the screen and it's easy to share as part of your the Zoom meeting? Yeah, so it's basically an attached device to your um, to your laptop, and it's just kind of like an external touchpad, but it's it, it doesn't have a screen, so it, it gets a bit. Uh, it takes some times getting used to it if you're not uh, if you're using it for the first couple of times because you're writing on your desktop, mm-hmm. uh, your your physical desktop, but looking at the monitor. 
to, to see it. So there's some, uh, it's not as visual sometimes as writing on an iPad mm -hmm. or, or, or a touchscreen, but uh, I really liked it. Um, it really worked for me. And like I said, it's, it's finding the tool that, that, um, that yeah. works for you. Yeah. It doesn't really matter to the panelist if you're, <laughs> no. if you're doing it on a drawing tablet or, or on an iPad. The important thing is that your methodology is correct. Yeah, exactly. From a panelist's perspective, we really don't mind what tools you use as long as they enable you to illustrate what you want to show us. You know, whether that is using PowerPoint or whether that is using one of these cool tools that you've just you guys have just mentioned to us, whatever works for you is completely fine with us. And just to reiterate Chris's point, try and do as many mock defenses as you can so you are comfortable with it. So as you said, Azaf, I would be the same with you. I it would be weird for me to kind of write with with my hand, but whilst looking at the screen in front of me rather than looking at my hand, which is typically how you would do it when you're writing with a pen and paper. So getting comfortable <laughs> with that is going to would be something that would take some time for me. So um, get comfortable, get comfortable with the tools and and the way that they work, so it becomes second nature, and then you can just focus on what's really important in the defense rather than worrying about the tools that you're using to to convey your ideas. <laughs> Yeah, one other point, mm -hmm. and that's something that I've tried in the beginning. I've noticed under other candidates do that in mocks. Is uh, I tried typing instead of writing uh, when I needed to write requirements mm -hmm. and and uh, constraints, etc. And I'm not great at talking while typing, mm -hmm. but I can talk while I write. So very quickly, I realized that maybe my handwriting is not the greatest but it's um, <laughs> it's possible to read it. Um, so I don't need to focus on making the whiteboard look the prettiest. It's important that you get your point through. And if you stop for even, even if it's 10 seconds at a time writing a requirement, it's 10 seconds that you can spend asking a question or making your point or explaining why you're writing this um, this design decision or this requirement. So that goes, it all goes back to whatever works for you. If you mm -hmm. can type quickly and, and move from drawing to writing, that's great. If you can't, it's okay if you just write. Don't fixate on, uh, on having everything typed out and be visual. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I, I'm very similar to you. I can't really type and talk at the same time. So, uh, and, and that's not a problem. If you need to just pause for a few seconds whilst you're typing, and mm -hmm. because you don't, what we don't want you to do is while you're typing, come out and say something that actually is not what you really actually meant to say, but because you, you weren't really concentrating, you said something because you felt like you need to. So having mm -hmm. brief periods of time of pausing and, and typing or even pausing while you think is not a problem. Um, you know, a lot of people don't think that you can have pauses of and quiet periods, but if you just need time to think... That's not a problem. Just go ahead and do it. So Chris, we'll start with you. So knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time, back to when you were preparing your VCDX, what piece of advice would you give yourself? I think for me, I, I was quite nervous uh, because it was my first defense and I, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, I would tell myself to be confident. Uh, I'd done a tremendous amount of hard work and preparation and I, I was I was ready for the moment. I just needed to convince myself of that. Um I, while I did enjoy the defense, I would have told myself to to enjoy it and be confident in in my abilities going mm -hmm. forward. Yeah, 
it's valuable. You just got, having confidence in yourself is one of the main things. If you if you if you're going into it without confidence, then you're almost you're almost losing before you've before you even started. So going in there with confidence is a really good piece of advice, Chris. Azaf, what about you? If you if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? Uh, where do I start? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the first one, and it's a small one, is start earlier than mm-hmm. you, than you think. Um, there's a lot of things that I. I I could have given myself a bit more time with uh, starting to write the design and also um, even reaching out to to mentors and and start scheduling mock. It doesn't hurt to do those things earlier. Um, But I think the biggest advice is to understand that this is your journey and you need to find out what works for you. Because sometimes people reach out to multiple uh, either VCDXs or candidates, and they get a certain mindset from mm-hmm. them that, oh, it, the design has to be this way. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult, especially in the VCDX, because it is very, it is very vague. You, know, you need to write a design guide or an architecture guide. What, what does that mean? It's not like studying for a deploy exam where you need to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Exactly. And sometimes people try to force someone else's mindset into their presentation, into their design, and it ends up not flowing mm-hmm. the way that it can flow if they will just take some, some points, because you always need to take advice and get advice from mentors, from candidates, from VCDXs, but implement it in a way that works for you in every single step of the way. And I think that is very critical to succeed. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's definitely a really, really strong point because you need to feel comfortable in yourself. And if you're doing things, maybe not the way that you're used to doing things or comfortable doing it, it's not going to be an easy thing to do. <laughs> so being comfortable with how you present or the way that you're presenting it. And I think at this stage as well, if you're going for the VCDX, you're normally quite an accomplished architect anyway. So you'll know what works well for you as well. So just because someone has gone through this process and passed, they did it a specific way. It doesn't mean that you should do it that way. Do, as you say, Azaf, do what works for you. And I think this is one of the main reasons why I put together the VCDX podcast in the first place was because being a panelist, we get to see a lot of different defenses, whereas normally a VCDX will only get to do one or two and they'll, they'll be the only ones they'll see. And often we would see a lot of advice given to other people that are preparing for their VCDXs, which is maybe not good information that we will probably would want to share. So I, I kind of put together this podcast to show that all of our different guests that we have on, and I try and make sure that all of our guests are all different, always have a different view on things and everyone will work differently based on what works for them. So I think it's that's a, a really really good point Azaf is just figure out what works for you take advice from many different people and just kind of piece it together yeah because it can be a bit confusing at times especially for people just starting in the process because you hear from multiple sources sometimes conflicting information mm-hmm. uh, I and and it's just very subjective as you mentioned because I've only gone through one defense mm-hmm. I've that and that's what works for me, but it might be a different panel. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, the way you present is different. So, I completely agree with that. All right, Jed. So, Chris, how can people find and follow you on the internet if you want them to? And and do you have a blog? If so, what's the address? 
Uh, yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Chris Noon, obviously my name. Uh, I'm on Twitter as Alt Transformer, that's U-L-T Transformer. And I blog on vmusketeers.com with a couple of other guys. Very cool. Azaf, how about yourself? So I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me also on Twitter. Um, my handle is at Asaf Lubstein. And you can also find me on my blog, uh, softwaredefinedcoffee.com. Softwaredefined coffee. Wow. Yeah. Do you want to give us the story to where that came from? Uh, I love coffee. I like <laughs> software-defined things. And I'm not the greatest at, name, at naming things. <laughs> that is my biggest challenge in my home lab when I deploy new servers is what am I going to name this thing? <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, Tents, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you very much for taking your time. I know it's you guys have got busy schedules, so I really appreciate it. Yeah. And um, Thank you. And I'm um, no doubt our piles will cross regularly in the future and hopefully we'll have you again on at some point. So thank you. Thank you very much, Simon. Thank you very much. Sadly, that's all we have time for on this episode of the BCDX podcast. Again, thanks to my special guests, Chris and Asaf. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. If you did, please be sure to subscribe, follow me on Twitter at SimonLong underscore and share this podcast with others who might find it useful. I'll speak to you all again soon.